We're in a series of messages. Uh, I told you last week I didn't like this series, and I uh, continue that. It's tough to continue to preach on the issues of lordship and stewardship in the church. It's tough. Uh, it, it's uh, a little, little unnerving as, as a pastor to uh, continue the series of messages uh, about the issues of stewardship. Uh, maybe even especially in seasons where uh, we are seeking to raise specific funds for projects uh, around the church and wondering if people are like, oh yeah, the church wants more money. The church wants my money. I hope you'll allow the Holy Spirit today to move in your life, to remind you of your place in his forever kingdom and the opportunities he's called you and me to. And he alone will empower us to sense his will, to take action in our lives as we surrender completely to him. Last week we began to uh, uncover or answer, try to answer the question of why is lordship necessary? And last week we looked at two points and we're going to continue on in that same vein this morning with two more. Last week we talked about lordship settling the position issue of our life, of answering who is number one, who's at the center, who is the lead, the position issue of our life. We also reminded ourselves that lordship settles the permission issue of our life who has the the right to my life in a world that increasingly uh, tells us that we are our own islands anything that we do needs to be seen only as it affects me myself and i we must all the more declare publicly in our private lives and in our corporate life we must declare that we are not our own. That God alone has permission in our life. This morning, let's continue to answer the question, why is lordship necessary? Why is complete surrender necessary in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ? The third point this morning, continuing in this idea, is that lordship settles the profession issue of our life. The profession issue. In this room this morning, we've got a lot of uh, representatives of different professions. There's mechanics in our midst. There are teachers, chiropractors. There are doctors and nurses. There are moms and dads. People who are professional at doing stuff. Right? Each of us has a profession. Some of you have the profession of retired and fishing. Right? Some of you wish you could do more of that even in your retirement. We all have a profession. It's the thing that we are known to do. Maybe your profession has changed over time. Maybe it's changed more times than you want to admit. But we all have something that we do. Something we are known to do. Something we've trained to do. Something that is a part of our life. And in this issue of lordship settling the profession issue, this is where we move into a continual reminder of our actions being important in this area of lordship. Lordship cannot simply be a, a word that we use. It cannot simply be a mouth service or something that we say exists. Lordship must be an action in our life. Not just nodding our heads in agreement together that yes, 
Jesus is Lord, but doing something about it. Jesus talks about this issue specifically, I I think, in Luke chapter 6. I want to look at this quickly this morning. Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 46. Jesus' words here allow them to impact your life. Jesus says, he asks, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Why do you keep calling me Lord when you won't do what I say? I will show you what it's like, Jesus continues, when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. That is like, Jesus says, it is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays a foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. Verse 49, Jesus flips it, but anyone who hears and doesn't obey, he is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Do you sense the urgency in Jesus' words? Can you uh, allow them to uh, make an impact in your heart and in your life this morning when Jesus says, why why do you say, why do you call me teacher? Why do you call me Lord? Why, Why would you say that if you don't do what I've told you? Jesus then gives the illustration about what that looks like on the, on the flip side. First, Jesus says, those who come to me, listen to my teaching and take action, they are like a house built on a firm foundation that will no doubt experience storms and rising waters. The rain and the storm will come and the only true storm protection, the only insurance we can have in this life is to completely surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's as if Jesus is exclaiming in this illustration that confession or just declaring that Jesus is Lord apart from obedience, apart from acting on that truth is meaningless. It's just simply words. It's, it's foolish, Jesus tells the story. Look, look again specifically at verse 47. Jesus says, let me show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. Acknowledging that he is Lord is step one. Coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are my Savior. Listening to his word, allowing his literal word to take root in our life, to know what he says. Let me encourage you again. If God's word is confusing to you because maybe you grew up in church and you only heard it in a specific sort of language or word use, let me encourage you. Find a translation, even a paraphrase that allows God's word to become alive and fresh for you this morning. It's why I choose to preach from the New Living Translation. It is not my preferred study Bible, but it is my preferred preaching Bible. It's important for us to know that God's word is still alive and speaking to our hearts and lives. Now we live in a generation, a a surrounding where technology has advanced in such a way that we can literally carry every translation of Scripture on our phones, on our tablets. We can have it at a, a touch of a button on our computer. Make God's Word a priority in your life. 
Jesus is teaching here in this illustration that when we come to him, listen to him, and then move to action, when we follow truly, that is when we are truly submitted to him. More than just lip service, more than just speaking words and proclaiming what we sing every Sunday. When we take action, Jesus says, that's how we build a solid foundation. And we've heard it a hundred times, maybe already, but again, remember Jesus' powerful words, uncomfortably so. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 again. Again, Jesus says, not everyone who calls out to me, not everyone who says with their mouth, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who are actively doing the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Verse 22, on judgment day, there will be many who will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in the name of Jesus. But I will reply, the most difficult words in scripture, I will reply, Jesus says, I never knew you. Get away. You who break God's law. The realization from Jesus in this difficult passage of Scripture is that there will always be those who talk, and there will always be those whose talk doesn't line up with their walk. The truth is, Jesus uses the word many here. To reiterate the fact that we have in another passage of Scripture, Jesus talking about the the broad path that leads to destruction. There is a well-traveled path that leads to eternity away from God. Many people are on that path. Jesus provides a secondary option. One that requires surrender to Him. Following his instruction, his roadmap, his direction for our life is far better than any direction this world has to offer. In this passage, Jesus reminds us that saying the right words is not what gets me into the kingdom of heaven. Saying, Lord, Lord. Jesus is saying to me today, Stephen, you cannot use enough right words. You can't say the right things to earn eternity with your heavenly Father, to prove your surrender to lordship. Words alone are not what it takes. You can't say the right thing. There's no magic words. There's no certain phrase. There's no specific wording that equates to us surrendering everything to the Lord. Jesus goes on in this tough passage and he says, doing enough good works, even in my name, is not what earns you your salvation and surrender to the Lordship. Prophesying in Jesus' name, driving out demons in Jesus' name, performing miracles. These alone are not kingdom-bound acts that are worthy of acceptance into God's kingdom. Maybe let's translate that down into a modern reality of volunteering at your church, tithing to your church, attending worship at your church is not on its own. What equates to complete surrender and receiving of the kingdom of heaven for eternity? What does? Jesus says... Only the one who does. 
the will, the deeds, the acts of my heavenly Father. Only the one who listens comes to me and takes action. Not words, not deeds, good actions, but obedience. Our profession. What we truly are. In this reminder, Jesus is really classifying us down into what's reality. Three, three different classes of people. There will always be those who do not declare Jesus as Lord. And they don't have any intentions on being like Jesus. They don't have uh, any desire to lead a life that pleases him. It's the first class of people. There will always, secondly, always be a, a class of people who declare Jesus as Lord. But they don't obey they, they, they choose not to follow his teaching. They, they, they want Jesus to be Lord. They, they acknowledge that he is. But their lives tell a different story. Their actions, their obedience is not there. And then there are those that we must be like. Oh, we must be in this class of people that call Jesus Lord and obey. We do what he's taught. We step in line and say, okay, I know this is what you've asked me. I go back to the story of the two houses built in the illustration that Jesus tells in this parable. Two builders built basically the same house, if we would uh, add some words here. They both experienced the storms and the rising waters of life, the winds and the rains come key in this story is the foundation that is built. And what you and I are built upon, what we build our foundation on, will determine how successful our life is in Christ. The foundation, according to Jesus, again, is obedience. Believe it or not, as a parent, <laughs> as parents, I say believe it or not, hoping that you'll laugh when I say this next line. Believe it or not, we've tried to teach our kids to do what's right. You're supposed to believe that, not not, okay? We do our best as parents, right? I think all of us try to do our best in teaching our, our kids uh, obedience. We try to teach them right from wrong. We try to teach them to have good manners. We try to teach them what is appropriate at the dinner table and what is not appropriate at the dinner table. Anybody say Amen. Especially when you're at someone else's house at the dinner table. Now from the earliest age, I can pick on Ezra because he's in kids' corner right now. From the earliest of age, uh, Ezra was the pro uh, at being able to... I, I still hear my dad's voice when I hear myself saying this line. When Ezra did something wrong and I would say to him, Do you know why I am punishing you? Did your dad ever say that to you? Isn't that the worst do you know why I'm taking this away from you? Do you know why you're being put in handcuffs? Do you know why you're being forced to carry the firewood? We don't have fire. Do you know? Do you hear your dad saying that? Have you heard yourself say it? Do you know why I have to punish you for this act you've done? Ezra, like I said, he was the pro at being able to just recite the lesson he had learned from us. And we joke a lot that Ezra used to face certain disaster in his young life, knowing that if he chose this direction, he would get punished. Or if he would choose this direction, he would not get punished. And he would literally stand at that crossroads and go, it's worth it. 
And so when we would come to him and say, Ez, do you understand why you're getting in trouble for this? He would just say, yeah, I wasn't supposed to do that, but I chose to. He was a pro. He, he knew the lesson. He knew that he was supposed to uh, call someone Mr. or Miss. He knew that he was supposed to choose the right direction. He knew those lessons, and he would just repeat them back to me. His knowledge was sky high, even when his obedience didn't line up. You know what's, you know what's pride-giving in the good sense of the word? Pride-giving for me as a parent? And I think you know this. I think you experience it too. When your child, your grandchild, does what they're supposed to do, even without the reminder... Without doing it wrong again, when, when they choose to do what's right and you see them do that or someone tells you about it and you're like, yeah! They learned, the, they, they put to practice, do you see where we're going? They put to practice the lesson that you've tried so hard to instill in their life. Not just to punish them when they do it wrong, but in the hopes that they'll do it Right? My, my desire as a human father is to give my kids the best life possible, right? I, I want them to experience all the positive things about broken life as a human being. I, I want them to experience love and respect and joy and excitement and the thrillingness of life that it has to offer. I want them to have good things. How much more, how obvious does it need to be for me that God wants the same for you and me? And that in those moments when we know better and we still choose the left, God, in His grace and mercy, I don't understand it. It is too marvelous for comprehension. In our life, in our human family, partial obedience is not really obedience at all, right? It's just convenience. Doing the right thing some of the time, it's just convenience. That's a hard lesson to teach a young boy. In our life, at home and in our spiritual lives, selective obedience when we say, I determine when I'm going to obey, when I'm comfortable, then when this makes the most sense, then I'll obey. Or situational obedience, where situations determine whether or not we're going to obey, is not really obedience at all. And I can't help but think about how much it must grieve the heart of God. When every day, every hour, every minute, every second, humanity continues to neglect the gift, to focus on ourselves, to turn a blind eye, or worse, to the gift God has given us through Jesus Christ. The sacrifice once and for all. You know, some of you are in here. I gotta be careful. I occasionally sit down with a a couple who is interested in being married and we walk through the steps of premarital counseling together and there's never been a time when I've sat across from a couple and said, hey, how, are, are you committed? Are you, are you good with 45% of commitment into this relationship? Are, are, you, are you willing to give 45%? Because we can work with 45%. 
There's no couple that I've ever had that conversation with and said, are you willing to do just a little bit? A marriage relationship takes what? Full commitment. Can I get an amen, husbands? A lot of role and responsibility in committing to a relationship and marriage. There would never be an instance where I would say, hey, if you guys are willing to both give 15%, I think this will work. Isn't it interesting? We know that about marriage. We know that about those deepest forms of relationship, the God-honoring institute of marriage. And yet, in this issue of surrendering to lordship, we're, we're, we're willing to bargain. In this complete issue of profession, if we say, okay, in this area of my life, in this season maybe of my life, I'm willing to give you God. I'm willing to give you everything. I, I want you to have everything that I do. And then sometimes things get going okay. We back off. We negotiate the terms. We forget. The check we sign gets lost. Lordship settles. The profession issue of who it is that's going to run into the arms of our Heavenly Father. Settling Every day, all day, what we do for him. Finally, this morning, Lordship settles fourth and final, the possession issue. Here he goes. He's going to talk about money. Who owns the things in your life? Really, whose is it? We've already talked about this. We, you knew this was coming. Who, who owns it? Look again quickly at a couple of verses of the parable of the talents that we've already covered. Matthew chapter 25. Starting with verse 14, just two verses. Listen again as Jesus uses this illustration to teach us about the kingdom of heaven. He says again in verse 14 of uh, Matthew 25, verse 14, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by uh, the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. What does God own according to this illustration, this parable, this story that has deep meaning? God owns owns me, his servant, right? We have to come to terms with that. We have to understand, and I hope you have this morning. I hope you've surrendered yourself as a living Breathing, functioning human being, I hope you know, you have been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus was payment for your life. And I hope you acknowledge that God owns you, that you are not your own. As you don't belong to any political affiliation, you don't belong to any city or state, you don't belong to any uh, organization, you don't even belong, if you're a member of the Hyde Wesleyan Church, you don't firstly belong to Hyde Wesleyan Church. You are God's son or daughter. I hope you know that. He loves you. In Jesus' illustration, his story says the master uh, comes to his servants and he gives them his possessions. 
he entrusts into their care. This issue of stewardship has to remind us that all that we have, everything in my basket, is not really mine to begin with. It's God's basket. It's God's. And he's entrusted it into my care. This is where stewardship becomes an issue of lordship. If it's true that God owns me and everything that I have, why am I? Why are we guilty occasionally of treating God like a good waitress? Anybody guilty? At the end of a meal where you didn't have the best service, if you're a waitress this morning, you shame on me and I get in trouble. It's always, always right to give the tip amount. 47%. What happens when you get bad service? That 15% hurts a little bit more, right? Oh, she didn't come back with enough water. He didn't, he didn't smile right. He smelled funny. You ever had a waitress or a waiter that smells funny? If I've ever served you anything, you have. Why, why, do you treat, why do we treat God like a waitress? Where we're like, hey, that was a great season. Oh my goodness, look at this tax return. Look at how things have gone. You know what, God, you've been so good. Here, I'm going to give you a little something extra. Maybe around the Be Generous time at Hyde Wesleyan Church. God, you, you did a great job. When the stock market's hurting, when our investments are broken, when life comes at us, when we found out we had a hole in the back wall, life comes at us and we have more expenses than we thought, we're like, oh, I know where I can get maybe 10% more to cover this. If you've ever wondered why it is that tithing, returning back a tenth of everything we've been giving is troubling for many Christians, we needn't look very far than that mentality that we have. I've said it this way, that's like when we give our kids money to buy us something for Christmas or for our birthday. It's kind of silly, right? Hey, here, I want to I want to give you this, and I want you to buy me something great. <laughs> By the way, there's nothing great that a 10-year-old little boy can buy his dad for $5, unless it's a Harbor Freight gift card. <laughs> if God really owns everything, if he owns me, Lordship must settle that possession issue. We have to ask, does our family budget reflect surrender to God? Does our checkbook register reflect lordship to Christ Jesus? There's a a story of Ivan the Great. Uh, Before Russia was Russia, Ivan the Great was a a warrior, and he helped establish what we know today to be Russia. And uh, he was a a great warrior. He had a surrounding army around him of about 500 uh, guys. And he got to a point in his life where he knew he needed uh, an heir to his throne. He needed uh, someone to follow his lineage. So he sought out a a wife. And uh, some in his community found him a wife. And she happened 
to be from Greece and happened to be a Greek Orthodox Christian following after Christ. And he fell in love and they wanted to be wed. In the church, the Greek Orthodox priest came to Ivan the Great and his warriors and said, you must be baptized. If you're going to uh, enter into this marriage relationship, you have to be baptized uh, to our faith and to our church. And so they sought uh, what that would look like and they found out very quickly that they would not be able to be baptized as warriors and Greek Orthodox Christians. So they decided to be baptized in this manner. They entered the waters of baptism with their swords and their arms held above their hands. And we have this illustration now in a historical fact that these men, along with Ivan the Great, were baptized almost fully. And we have this illustration of the unbaptized arm and sword. It's kind of silly as we look at it today. Something that happened in the 15th century, we're like, we know better. We know that we can't be baptized partially. When we enter the waters of baptism right here under the drum riser, we know in this illustration that it is our whole self that is being uh, died and made alive in Christ Jesus. We would never uh, consider pulling out our keys real quick and saying, oh, I I just want to make sure that everything about me except for this area or this area or this area is baptized. And we have this story, and I wonder here today, how many unbaptized family decisions are represented in our room? How many uh, unbaptized checking accounts, savings accounts? How many uh, unbaptized professions or career paths? How many unbaptized purchases? How many unbaptized wills, decisions, tough ones are made by Christians today? And we often come along again and we sing about Jesus being Lord But our actions reflect more of the Ivan, the great. Where we keep a portion for ourselves, we think, no, I can't give God this part of me. Let me say it again. Jesus is Lord of all or not Lord at all. This morning, unless you've been living under a rock, you have heard the name Kanye West in recent days. Anybody? Some of you are like, Conway Twitty? (laughs) If you thought I said Conway, I can't even say it again. Kanye West, pretty famous young man in our culture, by culture terms. And if you've been following the news, if you've been reading anything, if you've been watching uh, anything, you know uh, that Kanye West has declared that he has had a transformation in his heart, that Jesus Christ has come in and transformed his life. It's pretty exciting. And yet, if you're like me, or like most of us, there's been at least an ounce of skepticism in your heart. You know why I think we do that? We, we, we see someone who's so famous, so valuable in, in our world's standards, and they declare, Jesus has made me new. And we're like, really? I mean, has he really? I mean, 
okay, but did he, are you serious? Is this for real? You know why I think we do that? Lordship. It comes back to lordship. Because it's a struggle for us each and every day to surrender everything to the Lord in the means that we have. And we see someone who's got bukus more than us. And we're like, man, I, if I struggle with giving a tenth of what I've got, could Kanye West really surrender it all to the Lord? As a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I hope so. I hope that the hope of Jesus that I proclaim to us each and every day of my life is capable of doing that in Kanye's life. And I say it is so. I, I, I think time will tell us, right? The fruits of his life, of any of our lives, will tell us for sure. And I, I want to close with a, an idea that if I had a chance to sit down with Kanye West, oh my goodness, I don't know. That would be so interesting. I've listened to so much stuff in the past couple of weeks. The, the pastor who's discipling him, I, I, I'm just, I'm excited about what God might be doing. I, I choose not to be skeptical because it comes natural to me. I, I, I'd like to just go, yeah. Instead, I, I want to bask in the potential that I know grace to have. And I want to choose not to be critical. And I pray every day. It's so fun. Ezra and I were driving to school the other day, and I, it just usually takes us to school now, and, and Ezra and I were in the car together, and we just prayed for Kanye West and Kim Kardashian as we were driving to school. Yeah. It's just bonkers, right? And grace is bonkers, right? The potential. It's what we pray for. It's what we preach the power of the living God can do the impossible. If I was sitting down with Kanye, three more passages of scripture about this issue of our possessions that I would love to talk to him. But I want to remind us, even before I say it this way, I want to remind us that you are someone else's Kanye. I am someone else's. In, in, in my circles of influence, I am someone else's Kanye West. Maybe not even in my circles of influence. Someone who, who would look to what we are as Americans, they see the same thing. What we look to Kanye West as having is what someone else may look to us as having. So listen to these three. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy, thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, Stephen, there the desires of your heart will also be. The truth is, what I do with my possessions, where I invest my time, my energy, my life, my possessions, everything I have, reveals my heart. Second, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, 
And he, God, will give you everything you need. Kanye, Stevan, seek God's kingdom first. Put it first. Second best is not an option. Leftovers don't count. Put the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, first and foremost in everything you do, above everything else. And from the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, the famous tithing passage. Kanye, listen to this. Stevan, listen to this. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple, God says. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test, says God. God commands us to be stewards of what he's provided, promising blessing, provision to us who surrender it all, everything we have for his ability, for his work, for his will. Will you stand with me? What do you do? What's your profession? Are you willing? Are you really, really willing to do the work of our Heavenly Father? As a teacher, as a doctor, as a chiropractor, as a retired fishing a lot man, woman, as a Walmart greeter, as a pastor, as a mom, as a dad, are you willing to do it all for the sake of the glory of God? And what do you have? Is it yours or is it God's? Has He spoken to you? Surrender. Surrender everything, all that you are and all that you have. And He'll take it. And he'll use you. Let's pray. Lord, help us to truly live out the reality of surrendering all. Lord, help us. Would you receive us again today? Heavenly Father, would you call us to yourself? Would you help us to be those who seek you first, who listen to your word and who take action? Would you help us to obey in our act of surrender? Thank you for grace that covers a multitude of sin. Thank you for grace that forgives and cleanses us and calls us to righteousness. Lord, would you turn us towards the things of your kingdom? And I pray that you would go with us from this place, Lord Jesus, that you would fill us 
with your spiritual goodness each and every day this week, that we would see you in our midst, and that we would act as you have asked. And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus and God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Go in the peace of our Lord Jesus.